Yes, the reading this morning is from Hebrews 11, uh, beginning at verse 32, and reading through to verse 3 of chapter 12. And it can be found on page 1210 of the Church Bibles. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, they were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went in about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning from uh, me again. Uh, it's great. Can I welcome you? I forgot to welcome you. When I was interviewing Zoe. I'm uh, Bob Marsden. I'm uh, the minister here at Trinity. Uh, it's great to have you here if you're uh, new, uh, maybe visiting on holiday. The holidays are just about to end. But it's great to see you all. It'd be good if you had Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 open, page 1210, page 1210. And as Colin has so well uh, introduced this so well, we're in the last of our series, The Christian Portrait Gallery. So page 1210. And uh, I want to ask with a show of hands to begin with, who actually likes running? Yes, there are some fanatics. Barry there, Gar- uh, uh, Graham, look at that. Uh, Barney, all right, likes running. So, do I assume that most of you don't like running? Yeah, look at those. Lots of- wow, Glenda's. Did you nod your head then, Glenda? You didn't nod your head. All right. Who likes running after a ball? There you are, you see. There are more. I hated running. As um, a young person, in fact, I hate running now. Uh, I hated running. I was made to go on cross-country runs uh, as a youngster, and I absolutely hated them because I always came last. 
Um, I was quite big, still am. But then I discovered a rugby ball, and I liked running after the rugby ball. And then I discovered cricket, and I liked hitting the ball and running between the wickets to get runs. I still hate running after the ball. In fact, when I have to run after the ball now, it's pathetically embarrassing. Indeed, the captain of Buxton First Team calls me a wheelie bin, which is extremely rude. Extremely rude. I could be classed as a vulnerable adult. But there you are. But let me reassure you that, that this does not... This running this rate does not involve actual running, though let me say it does involve effort. Um, you all have actually got out of bed this morning and you have done some physical activities. You've put food in your mouths and some of you will have walked to church, to the church meeting. Um, it involves some effort. And let me say, you coming this morning is a very, very important way that we keep running in this uh, Christian race. As you've already heard, the Christian life uh, is like a running race. In other words, as we trust Jesus and obey Jesus and keep doing that, it is like running a race. And as we've already been reminded, it's a running race with a clear finishing line, that is heaven. It's a running race that involves keeping going in the right direction, getting rid of uh, distractions and hindrances, and it involves perseverance and endurance. It will not be easy. If you want, it, it, I thought that uh, Colin's idea that it was a run, um, a fun run, you know, a park run, is a very good one. I mean, it's a bit like a marathon, it's not a sprint. But most importantly, we're not trying to beat each other in this race. We're all trying to get there to the finishing line. Indeed, just look at this passage that we do this together. Notice how the writer in chapter 12 addresses Christians collectively. Let us, 12 verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders. And then let us run with perseverance. We do this together. And indeed, this meeting is a great opportunity to help us all running this race. Afterwards, it's a great opportunity to listen well to others, maybe to pass on wisdom, to pray for each other, to keep encouraging in this race. This book of Hebrews was written to Christians, Jewish Christians, to keep going in the race of the Christian life. They'd started the race, they'd come to trust Jesus as God's King, the Saviour, the Lord. But in now they were in danger of giving up on Jesus. There was persecution, there was opposition, there were difficulties, they were sinful. And they were being tempted to go back to Judaism, which they were familiar with. And so avoid all the persecution and shame. And the writer through Hebrews has been showing them how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures and is much, much better. Why go back to Moses when you have the one who Moses foreshadowed and pointed forward to the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Now, my prayer this morning is that we will all keep running and keep running hard. Uh, some people here may be struggling, maybe you've experienced mocking or ridicule for your faith, maybe you're the only person who's a Christian in your class, maybe you're in danger of losing heart, maybe you feel isolated as a Christian. Again, that's why meeting together, which is a very strong theme in uh, Hebrews, is so important. Now, of course, we need to keep our suffering in perspective just look at, back at chapter 11. It's important that we read this. Uh, just look, uh, in chapter 11, there are all these what people call heroes of faith. They're people in the Old Testament who trusted God and his promises. They trusted God and his promises about the future. And they obeyed God. Now, in some cases, uh, a number of cases, uh, things were fulfilled in the short term. Um, but many of them, in fact all of them, were waiting for something better. But just look at verse 35 to keep our feet on the ground. The middle of verse 35. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. I once asked a friend of mine, a Christian leader actually, what his greatest fear in the Christian life was and he said, I don't want to be sawn in two. Uh, Dr. Todd reminded me this week that it would be a very quick way of dying for the faith. It would be surely worse to rot in prison for 20 years, as some of our brothers and sisters do. So we need to keep our um, suffering for the gospel in perspective. But my prayer is that if you do feel isolated, marginalized, we would keep running the race and know how to do that more effectively. Maybe you know uh, that you are in danger or of slowing down, perhaps of giving up. Now, let me say there are disappointments and prayers that are not answered as we want. Uh, maybe we're discouraged by how hard evangelism is or how society thinks church is irrelevant. There was a uh, a survey done by the Times this week. I woke up at uh, 7 o'clock to read it. And uh, it's, it was, it's a terrible poll, a terrible survey, let me say, for all kinds of method methodological reasons. But, um, uh, you know, undoubtedly as you read it, it, you know, you couldn't but feel discouraged. This morning I want us to be encouraged to keep running the Christian race in tough circumstances. Maybe there are others here this morning who know that they are weighed down or really in danger of being overwhelmed by sin. And my prayer is that you'll be brought to repentance and find grace to start running the race again. How do we keep running? Well, firstly, be motivated by faithful believers. 
there in verse 1, just look at it with me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The therefore points us back to chapter 11 and indeed the whole uh, argument of, the le- uh, of this letter. And chapter 11 is this list of, gr- of these Old Testament characters who trusted God's promises. Many are named and well known. In fact, as we've just read, many we don't know their names. They were men and women who trusted God's promises about the future. They obeyed God despite difficulties and temptations. And verse 39 says, these were all commended for their faith. Whatever happened. Now, I grew up being taught that these heroes of faith uh, were spectators uh, in a stadium And uh, they were watching us and cheering us on. And that's a great illustration. Um, But I think the sense here is something different. That actually we look at them and see their faithful witness. They trusted God about uh, promises about the future And we must be motivated by their courageous, faithful, obedient stand as we trust the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises that he makes about the future. One of the great arguments of Hebrews, of course, we have much more reason to trust Jesus. Just as these Hebrew Christians did, they lived in the full light of God making himself known in Jesus. We have far more more to go on to trust Jesus the promises that are made in Jesus. Now, an illustration may help of this. About 10 years ago, I think it's amazing to think it's 10 years ago that I was taking Ben, our son Ben, on a tour of Loughborough University. Um, And on the lampposts around the campus were pictures of all the successful sportsmen and women who'd been at the university. And it was very, very impressive And actually very uh, overwhelming, I found, because every lamppost had another Loughborough sportsman or woman who had been successful, had done something great. So there was Seb Coe. There was Fran Cotton, if you remember who Fran Cotton was, one of England's greatest prop forwards at rugby and lots of modern ones as well. And the message was... It was overwhelming. Be motivated, be inspired by these past Loughborough students. It wasn't just for people on going on visits to Loughborough, but for the present students. Be inspired to go on to do great sport yourself. And, of course, we are the best sport for university, which it probably is. It, indeed, it is. But the point here is be motivated by faithful believers. And notice that they're more than just examples for us. Uh, just have a look at this. Um, they're actually with us. It's an unusual way of thinking. Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, that is the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that goes with them, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The book of Hebrews is about something better That's an understatement, really, about the best thing that can be found through trusting Jesus. So think about all the sacrifices for sin in the Old Testament, all those animal sacrifices. They did not take away sin. They pointed forward 
to the once for all sacrifice of Jesus as he dies on the cross for the sin of the whole world. The promised land in the Old Testament is a shadow pointing forward to an even better country. That is the promised land of heaven. So God had planned something better for all of us, for them and for us together. We're all heading for the promised land of heaven. Uh, Julia told me that she once asked her Bible study groups what, the, what helped them most to keep going in the Christian life. And it was interesting that what came out top was the, the biggest encouragement was the example of other believers. You turn up at the youth group and you're going well as a Christian, that inspires others to keep going. Be motivated by faithful believers. Uh, think of uh, this, I always use this example, but God bless her, Margaret Inns, who was a great saint who prayed for years and years for this church. And if you went to see Margaret Inns, you came out being inspired by her example. Wonderful, wonderful, godly, elderly lady. I think of the sevens. I remember seeing the picture of them out, on, out in Indonesia with all their children, little children, and thinking they have gone out there to translate the scriptures with their young family so I can keep going. Look at them. Be motivated by other faithful believers. Of course, these Old Testament saints and others that are mentioned in this chapter, but also by others around you. Then secondly, throw off sin. Let us throw off, verse 1, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Uh, Picture the runner before the race. Remember what they do? Obviously, what they do is they get rid of all the, they get rid of the tracksuit and so on. They're going to be stripped down, ready to run. Uh, Training bag is put aside. You know, we don't want to run in heavy boots, do we? And uh, with some great rucksack. The Christian is to throw off everything that hinders. It's a dramatic kind of strong word. Throw it off. Now, let me say that these things might not be wrong things. But they become wrong because they keep us from running as we should. Created things that are good because they're God-given and God-made can become idols that distract us from trusting and obeying Jesus. It's worth taking some time to think about what are the good things that can hinder each one of us from trusting and obeying Jesus. And it can be a whole variety of things. What are the choices that we make that can hinder us in this race? If your job is requiring you to work so hard that you haven't got time to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, to meet with his people, then there's a problem. Throw off. Yes, I've known people who've changed their jobs because it was affecting the way that they were running the race. You know, it might be something that's ticking underneath. You want more money, so you've got to do this. You want more comfort, whatever it may be. See, what stops you reading the Bible and praying? 
It's the primary way, way we keep focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it checking Facebook, emails, WhatsApp groups, Instagram? I lose track. I think there's one called TikTok, which I'm told I mustn't go on. Oh, it's good to keep in touch with friends. It's brilliant for that, though, of course, some of the relationships are very superficial. But if there's no time left for doing the things which build us up in the faith, then that's a problem, isn't it? We've got to throw off the things that hinder. What stops us meeting every week with God's people? Can I just say, as a pastor who's been there 25 years, I have heard some great excuses for not coming to church. And that is the first sign that somebody's really stopping. Christian doesn't know Christians doing stuff on their own. Hebrews very strong on that. John Wesley once said that anything that stands between me and Christ and which I must hold on to at all costs has become a hindrance in following the Lord Jesus. Don't deceive yourself this morning. Throw it off. Take action. And then we must throw off the sin that so easily entangles. The picture there is of a net kind of being put round the feet that slows us up or trips us up. Throw it off. What sin do you need to throw off this morning? That's why we meet together, isn't it? Of course the Lord convicts us privately, but this is the place supremely where we're reminded to deal properly with our sin. And also corporately as a church. What is it? Selfishness? Bitterness? Gossip? Lust? Greed? Bad temper? Slash grumpiness, that's what I call it. Julius says stop being grumpy. Being discontented. Laziness. A controlling and manipulative spirit. I must be number one. I must be right. A lack of forgiveness. In a moment we'll come to communion. And we will confess at communion. God accepts every single one of us because of the death of Jesus. But he doesn't accept our sin. Jesus had to die. So let's take our confession and repentance seriously this morning. There will be people here who have sins that they know they must repent of, but you want to hold on to it. Please do not hold on to them. Then thirdly, keep running. Keep running all the way to heaven, verse 1. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. This is a tough race. It will not be easy. But it's one that's marked out for us. I think that what that means is that it has a clear finishing line. That is heaven. That is our place of rest. Glorious rest, being in the new creation with Jesus, with all the redeemed saints who've been saved by him. And it's important to say that the Hebrews uh, were in danger of not finishing the race. There are some very, very stern warnings to them. 
It's possible to uh, stop running. Let's keep running. And let's take the encouragement to one another. Keep going. We once asked Ben to go and tell uh, one of our trainees uh, to speak to her to say something positive. And he went up to her and he just said um, to dear Kathy, he said, keep going. And then walked away. You know, we were trying to teach him to say something positive. <laughs> keep going and then he walked away. Maybe we could just develop that a little bit after, after over coffee. Then lastly and gloriously and most important, fix eyes on Jesus. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So Jesus obviously is the main motivation to keep running this race. We're to look away from everything else that distracts us and focus on him. And actually, when we look at these great, uh, and when we're inspired and motivated by Old Testament believers, by others, by those around us, of course, they're all pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we want to keep pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ and get people to fix their eyes on him. And look to Jesus. Why? Because, verse 2, he is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. There's lots of discussion about this, and I think... Uh, one or two translations have the um, pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I personally think that's very unhelpful because I think it is holding up Jesus as the supreme example of faith. Now, of course, his faith leads to something absolutely glorious and amazing and wonderful for each one of us this morning. That's why we meet and we meet at the Lord's table. But he is the pioneer. He is the trailblazer. His faith brought in the new way by his death. You might say he's the pathfinder of faith. He goes out and sets the path. Jesus has been there before us. You and I can't go anywhere that Jesus has not already been in the life of faith and is indeed with us now. Listen to chapter 4, verse 15. Glorious verse, 415. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize for our, uh, uh, with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So fix your eyes on Jesus. He's been there before us in this race of faith. What does it mean that he's the perfecter of faith? Right back at the start of Hebrews, uh, the writer says, quoting the Old Testament, says, Jesus says, I will put my trust in God. And Jesus trusts God perfectly in his earthly life, right through to his death on the cross. There was something immediate he had to do. He had to trust God, his Father, to go to the cross. And the death of Jesus on the cross is the climax 
of the faith of Jesus. But he also had to trust for the future, that his father would raise him. He knew that he would be raised. He knew he would come into his kingdom. But only through his death and resurrection and ascension. Look at verse 2. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose hearts. You see, Jesus had pressures, temptations, struggles, opposition, yet not my will, but yours. He was perfectly faithful and perfectly obedient. He didn't give up. Why? Well, I think verse 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. All the shame of dying a criminal's death for the joy that was set before me. That's, you know, it seems to me that's obviously the joy of heaven, of being reunited with his heavenly Father. He sits down, as we see there, at the right hand of God, end of verse 2. But surely this is the joy of seeing those whom he has died for. Being there with him. Think of the joy as sinners from every nation, down the ages, gather around the throne in heaven. Jesus wants to see you in heaven, which is why he calls on us today to keep running. Joy for him, joy for us. So I think that perfecter of faith is that he trusted his father all the way to the cross. He trusted that father would raise him. He trusted that his father would exalt him as king. And we too, therefore, can trust Jesus for the future. Indeed, because of what he's done, we can be more confident, you know, in the promises that we have. Now, of course, that perfection is a perfection of the way of salvation. He opens up the way of salvation so we can keep coming to our Father through him and ultimately to heaven. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition. Consider him. Giving over your mind to think about something. The Lord Jesus Christ, who endured such opposition from sinners. In a moment, we'll come to the Lord's table. How appropriate to come to the Lord's table. We'll fix our eyes on Jesus as we do that. Bread that speaks of a body broken for you. Wine that speaks of blood shed in sacrifice for you and me. Now, of course, there are lots of other things that help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to consider him. Meeting together is vital. Our Bible reading, our prayer, the encouragement of Christians. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to spend every moment every day. We've got jobs to do. He expects us to get on with jobs and our responsibilities. But there is a, if you like, priority that comes, a desire of the heart. I've got to fix my heart, 
I fix my eyes on Jesus and keep considering him at his death. Can I just say to those who know that they have besetting sins, well, if you want to confess them and repent of them again, that's great. That's the way to deal with them. But there are others here, there's maybe one or two people who just want to hang on to things. And it could be disastrous. Sorry, it will be disastrous if you hang on to them and don't repent and take them seriously. Something I thought about yesterday, I had a I I had to beat it, so to speak, out of my mind. Consider Jesus. As we often sing, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Look to Jesus as you're tempted. Look to Jesus When you've given in to temptation, that's what he wants most of all because his grace will continue to flow. And of course, just look at that. He is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's exalted and reigning. His justice, uh, the sacrifice that he made on the cross has satisfied the justice of God. He cried out, it is finished. Sin has been paid for. The way to God, the Father, is opened. And he's reigning, so everything that's happening in this world is under his sovereign control. And what does he do from that throne of God? He ministers grace to us this morning. See, those Old Testament believers are dead. They're waiting to be raised. They're united to Christ now and they're waiting to be raised. But Jesus is the one who is alive, sat at the right-hand throne of God, and he now ministers grace to every single one of us as we come with confession and repentance. I've put down on the um, outline one of my favorite verses. You see, Jesus is there at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse, chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Whoever we are, whatever we've done, however far we are. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So let's keep running the race together. Encouraging, encouraging one another, fixing our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises he's made. What a delight it is to come to the Lord's table now. Let's keep fixing our eyes on him and keep running all the way to heaven. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for the richness of your word. Even those of us who've heard this many, many times uh, just marvel at it and the challenges of this, but also the wonderful reassurances that there are here. Father, we do indeed thank you for the example of faithful believers, those who trusted you and your promises from the Old Testament, just ordinary believers who experienced extraordinary hardship. We thank you for examples of faith around us in this congregation and others that we know. Help us to be motivated and inspired by them.
Please help us now to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Please, please, convict us now. Maybe there is somebody here who's very hard-hearted. Please convict them now of their sin and their need to turn back to you, to your welcoming arms, to the throne of grace and mercy. Please help us all to throw off sin, to take our repentance and confession seriously. Please help us to keep running all the way to heaven. Thank you that it's a wonderful destination, the promised land of heaven. Please help us to keep encouraging one another to do that after the service through the coming week. And please help us above all to fix our eyes on Jesus. Thank you that we can do that now as we come to eat bread and drink wine and to, with great thanksgiving, to feed spiritually in our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. We're going to sing of that grace. Grace.